Thank you for listening to the Identity House Ministries podcast. We hope you are encouraged and empowered by this week's teaching from Cameron Barton. Yeah, I just really want to, really quick, want to talk about the, the quarantine stuff and just what I feel like the Lord's been sharing with me um, and just my heart for our church. Um, you know, this is like COVID-19, quarantine stuff, it, it has been kind of crazy, but mainly the biggest takeaway I have from it is the fact that I don't think we're ever going to go back to like the normal we had before COVID-19. I think there's been like a shift and especially there's going to be a shift in the church um, regarding how we do church, you know, it's been so weird because we don't have our regular Saturday slash Sunday morning meetings. Um, no churches are. And so it's just, it, it's such a weird thing that where like, that was like where people's, um, people depended on that every single week to help them connect with the father and grow with him. And now that that avenue has kind of been closed. And, um, I really feel like it's a, a challenge from the Lord to see where does your like loyalty lie in a way? Um, what really keeps you going as a Christian? Um, and my question to you guys, and this is a question I've been asking myself, is what are we without our church meetings? What is our Christianity without church? You know, like obviously we're still the church just because we don't meet together all the time in big groups. That doesn't mean we're not the church. We, as the body, are the church. Uh, as Christians, we are the church. But without these group meetings, I, ask yourself this question, like, how has your Christian walk changed? Like, ha- have you been struggling? Have you been really uh, lacking something? Or are you like, man, this is amazing. Praise God. Um, and, and just evaluate that, and not in a way of, like, beating yourself up, but if the church meetings were... Uh, a crutch for you, then this is a perfect time to reevaluate what is priority in your Christian faith. This is a perfect time to reevaluate those things. Um, I really feel like the Lord is giving us this time to reevaluate a lot of things as it pertains to church. Um, and really, my my full belief, and this isn't just because I'm a house church guy. You know, I love big church. I love mega churches. You know, <clears throat> I think they do a lot, and they have such a large reach that. House churches don't, but I really feel like the Lord is bringing us back to a place where the um, the house church movement is um, a more global, more um, <clears throat> popular thing, um, if you will, because uh, I believe people just grow way better in the house church like model. I believe that um, that that growth is put on a, a fast track that it's not like you have to wait for a long time to learn these things and you got to go through these classes and these steps and all that stuff not knocking it but i just feel like with the house church you're immediately put into a place of you know needing to perf- like not perform but you know what i mean you're going to be growing um, so i really feel like that's important and if you're looking at, at the global news like the, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in iran and i've talked about this before but What's happening is these people are, especially Muslims, are encountering Jesus and they're changing their lives. They're abandoning the Muslim faith and following Jesus because they saw him in a dream or they uh, met somebody on the street who told them about the gospel or they they read the Bible and it was made alive to them. And what they do is as soon as they become a Christian, they get baptized, they meet up with the people from the local church, which is all underground because of Sharia law. Um, 
and then they're immediately activated to be the gospel. To the, like, as soon as you become a Christian, you become baptized, you're like responsible for sharing the gospel with people. Um, there's no wait period. There's no like, okay, you need to get your training. None of that. And so right now the gospel is just being exploding in Iran. Um, it's also exploding in Afghanistan um, and plenty of other places in the uh, Middle East. But I really just feel like it's going to be happening more and more in America where we are. Um, and I want us as a church to be ready. I don't want us to be caught off guard. Um, and I feel like the Lord is calling for his bride to mature herself, to not just be a baby Christian, not just be a consumer of the gospel, but to let it consume you. Let the gospel transform your life from the inside out. Um, that, that is our heart. That is our desire is that um, our, our identity would be found in who Jesus says we are, who God says we are, and that that truth would transform our lives. Um, man, I could go on for hours, but that's not what I'm teaching on. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to move on from that. But just keep that in mind and ask yourself that question. You know, what am I without my church meetings? And if you're struggling, talk to somebody. Like, this isn't just to beat you up. Go, go talk to someone. You can text people. We really have to be... Um, pushing ourselves to like reach out to people because right now everybody's quarantined and if you don't do anything you're going to stay quarantined reach out shoot somebody a text do it um, one other thing i just wanted to share with you guys really quickly that i've been um, learning a ton on um, and it's extremely pertinent right now because we're in the week of passover uh it's a jewish feast it's just the importance of the Passover feast. Um, and I've been reading a book by a guy named Travis Snow. He's a Regent University graduate. Um, and basically, um, his premise, his book is called uh, The Passover King. Um, I think you can get it on his website for free, voiceofmessiah.com or voiceofmessiah.org. You can look it up, but um, it's incredible. His teachings are really, really solid. And basically, his whole point is that Jesus really points to the Passover as something um, where it wasn't just fulfilled at the cross. You know, we know the Passover originally was in Exodus when God saved the Israelite people from the uh, Egyptian captivity. And then it was echoed um, because Jesus became the sacrificial lamb that his blood was shed for us as Christians and saved us and set us free from the oppression of sin. And that is very true. That that did happen. And so uh, but the the book basically talks about that there's a future aspect to this, that not only was Jesus the um, sacrificial lamb, but he's also the, um, he's going to be a Moses figure, and um, he's going to literally, in real life, he's going to return to the earth and set his people free once again from bondage um, in a very real sense, um, and it's all related to Passover, um, and it's just extremely cool when you read about that. And even in the Jewish culture, I talked to my friend, um, Elisabetta. If you looked on the Facebook earlier this week, we shared a video from her, Elisabetta Karp. Um, and she talked about the Passover and what each of the elements means and how they are symbols of like both past things and future things, um, that the Bible talks about. It's so good. Really go watch it. It's like, you need to go watch it. It's super good. Um, but um, <clears throat> the future aspect of this thing is the fact that Jesus is going to literally come back 
Um, and in Luke 22, he talks about um, he, he won't take from the Passover. He won't partake in the Passover until he returns in the kingdom of God. So it's super cool. Um, and you should really check it out, learn more about it. If you're interested in more, let me know. Um, other than that, we're going to roll into the teaching because I've <clears throat> gone into a bunch of things for entirely too long. But um, yeah, we're going to pray first. So. Um, yeah, so Dad, we just come before you. We thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for who you are. Uh, you are a good, good God. Uh, nothing can change that. Thank you that our circumstances can change none of that in, in our lives. God, we cling to you. We trust in you. And um, God, we just pray as we walk into this season of learning more about the book of Revelation and um, just the, the truth that you have there, God, that um, I, I just pray that you would breathe life over this study to each of our people, that you would breathe life into the homes, that Holy Spirit, you would be speaking to each person individually as we go through this, um, this study, this teaching, um, and God, that you would just make it not a scary thing, but something that just is a, a wellspring of life, God. So I just, um, I thank you for that, God. I just um, thank you for your presence being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding me and helping me to speak exactly what's on your mind. And yeah, we just honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to be talking about Revelation 1, as you've seen in the captions and all that stuff. Um, we've decided we were going to do these teachings as a part of our um, bi-weekly guys and girls Bible study, um, where we've been more diving into the scriptures expositionally. Um, and obviously, because of COVID and the quarantining, we're not going to be doing that, um, just to make it simple. But so Saturday nights <clears throat> for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be studying the book of Revelation. Tonight, I'm going to be talking through an intro of the entire book um, and going over chapter one. Um, next week, I think Matt is going to be teaching and he's going to be sharing about the um, outlines of the letters to the churches. And that's really what we're going to focus on is chapters two and three of Revelation, where Jesus writes letters to the church. Uh, I'm curious to know how many of you actually knew that Jesus wrote letters to the church, just like Paul wrote letters to the church. It's an often forgotten thing. Um, so, um, but this is going to be an extremely cool teaching. Um, but if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to read through the whole chapter just to start just so we can get a uh you know flavor of what the text is about um and while you're turning there i'm just gonna um say just a personal testimony of mine i kind of shared something on my personal facebook recently a couple days ago about this but this book always intimidated me this book is and it is intimidating it is crazy there's so much stuff that goes on um, that it, it can be really hard to understand. There's a lot of symbolism. Did I say that right? Symbolism. That's what I meant. <laughs> There's a lot of symbolism and uh, metaphors and similes and all kinds of stuff that kind of goes way over your head if you um, are just if you're just reading it at face value. So it really takes some devout study. But I started last year, um, probably around the, um, late spring, early summer. I started listening to um, a guy named Chuck Missler um, teach on the book of Revelation. He's got a 24-part series uh, on his YouTube. It is insane. It is incredibly long. <laughs> I spent so many hours 
watching and listening to him. Um, but man, oh man, can I tell you that I like I have not been blessed as much reading any other book than the book of Revelation. This book has incredibly changed my life. Like, I'm not even joking with you. My, like, hunger for the Lord, and my wife can attest to this, I don't even want to come home and just play Xbox all the time. Like, I, I still love playing Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, like, sitting here at the house reading books about the book of Revelation or, like, um, the Israel as a people, because that's something you'll learn more in the book of Revelation is that the church and Israel are two separate entities um, and like I'm, I've got a thousand page textbook in my bedroom right now that sits on my nightstand that I've been reading out of and it's so dense and I love it. <laughs> but, um, it, the, the hunger is what I'm really like, um, it's amazing to me is that the, this book has revitalized a hunger for the word of God in my life. And I don't think it's just for me and I think it's for, um, everyone and, I think if we as a church, Identity House, if we as a people can really like dive into this word, what would it look like if all of us, every single person in our church was just starving and desperate for the word of God, but where we just like, that's all we want to do. We want to come home and we just want to read. We want to learn more about the gospel. Where's Ryan Tillery at? Because I know Ryan Tillery's on that page. <laughs> I know he would fully endorse this message. Uh, Ryan, I love you. Um, so uh, just as a... Um, uh, an encouragement to you. Don't let this thing intimidate you because it really, it, it's way less intimidating once you figure out some key things. And so well, that's why we're going to walk through this together. Um, and we're going to make this thing less intimidating, but we're not going to lessen its effect. We're going to experience the full blessing that this book promises, that God promises to us through this book. So um, let me go ahead. I'm going to read the uh, Revelation chapter one. <clears throat> so Chapter 1, verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all, the, all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you, and peace from him, which is, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. earth. Unto him that loved us, and washed us from, his sins, from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on, in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it into, unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, 
and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a, gir a garment down to the foot, and a girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Awesome, awesome. So that's the uh, entire um, first chapter. Um, I'm going to, I'm taking my notes on my phone, so I'll be looking at my phone. I'm not. <laughs> not paying attention. Uh, as a couple things for some prerequisite knowledge that I think is really important for you guys. Um, first thing first, when we come to the book of Revelation, um, we want to take God at his word. We want to read his word and take it for what it means. We don't want to just, um, we don't want to have loose hermeneutics where we just read the Bible and we think everything is a um, allegory or um, you know, not literal. We want to take God at his word. He says what he means and means what he says. Um, and it's a big deal when we get to that. We're going to run into metaphors and similes. That's going to be a little different because those are figures of speech. And that is when the writer is actually intending for us to take it as a metaphor or a simile. But uh, for the most part, we are going to try to, before we have to be able to identify those figures of speech so that we understand. Um, if we don't identify those, if we don't see any of those figures of speech, then you know we're just going to take it for what it says. Um, another thing we're going to read, uh, or just kind of keep in the back of our heads, um, and this is from Chuck Missler. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is from Chuck Missler because it's just blessed me, and I, I really believe in it. Um, but uh, the Bible consists of 66 books penned by over 40 different authors over the period of several thousand years. Um, the entire Bible is an integrated message system written to us from someone, God, outside of our space and time. Uh, this is a really important thing to um, keep in our heads is that this book was written over thousands of years. It's so many different books by so many different authors, yet at the same time, they all seem to be connected. And you can see this when there's prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New or something that happens in the New Testament that was actually spoken of before in the Old Testament. I mean, it's it's all over the Bible, and man, it's always, you know, those parts in your actual Bible at the bottom of the page or in the middle, it'll share all those verses. The Bible is just cross-referencing itself all the time, mm -hmm. um, and for the, for a book to do that, that is written by 40 different authors, um, and it all connect and make sense and not, like, um, you know, contradict itself is incredible, and we stand by that. That is a, a foundational rock that we stand on, is that this book that we've gotten, yes, it may have naturally been given to us by a bunch of men, but it is written ultimately by God, the Holy Spirit. And 
Um, when you get into it, you'll see that the Bible, uh, not just the, the words in the Bible and the prophecies, but also the letters and the spaces in between the letters, everything in the Bible prophesies Jesus and God. And it's like the Holy Spirit left fingerprints all over it. It's so crazy. And you'll think I'm crazy saying it, but I'm telling you, it, 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 you'll see. Look, we can talk more about that. Um, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. This is important, too. Once again, it's just the fact that um, all of the Bible is um, weaved together. It's not one working against the other. We're not just New Testament believers, but we also believe in the Old Testament because the Old Testament has the New Testament in it. It's just concealed. We just didn't see it at that time. So it's important to have all of that, the full gospel. Um, when we read the text, nothing is listed by mistake. We take the text seriously and we know that the author, God himself, Holy Spirit, was and is incredibly intentional about what he places in the Bible. I can give a quick testimony about this. We were at Brobel uh, two weeks ago, I think, and we were reading a verse and uh, it's in the um, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus basically says that, look at the grass, it's you know, doesn't care and it's like not worried about anything and one day it's just going to be tossed in the oven. And I was like, that's hilarious. He just said tossed in the oven. And I thought that didn't really mean anything. But I was sitting there like, man, that has to mean something. I brought it up and uh, somebody brought up the fact that the the oven there is talking about like a bread oven and the grass is re referring to like wheat. And so it actually does mean something. So it's just crazy to see that like Stuff in there is put not just as hilarious, haha, little jokes. It's like so intentional. Mm -hmm. um, and one other thing that we're going to carry with us throughout this study of the book is the fact that uh, we want to be Bereans. In uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, um, there's a scripture that talks about these people, the Bereans. And basically, um, it says that they received the word that was spoken to them with all readiness, the word of the gospel. Yet they searched the scriptures day and night to just make sure that it was correct. So they didn't just take the words that were spoken. They actually um, they, they took the words that were spoken that were preached to them and they tested it by reading the word of God and they tested it against the word of God. This is a huge deal. And we as the, as the body, like everyone in our church, I, I want to encourage you. Don't just take what I'm saying as truth. Don't just take what Matt says or Savannah or Ron or Kate or anybody, anybody. Don't just take what anybody, anybody says about the Bible. Take it and receive it, yes, but take it back to the Word of God and test it against the Word of God. That's when you're going to see the real growth is when you begin to build history with the Lord and know that the Holy Spirit actually teaches you. Let the Holy Spirit become your teacher. Um, all right, so let's dive into the book. Um, we're going to go to the uh, first verse. Um, oh, I do have something. Uh, I'm going to save that, actually. Um, this book is written by John, an apostle. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting about John, um, John is referred to often in the Gospels as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, so that's really interesting that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, became the one who got Jesus revealed uh, the book of Revelation to. Pretty big deal. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, there was only one person who was called beloved by God. And 10 points to whoever can guess who it is. It actually was Daniel. 
Daniel was referred to as the uh, beloved of God. He was beloved. And Daniel, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, it's full of apocalyptic, end times, eschatological teachings and prophecies. Um, so there seems to be a connection with the fact that um, these two people were beloved of God. They, they weren't just lovers of God, but God, just his, his heart, like he just loved them. Not that we aren't loved by God. We all are. But I want to be known as someone who God loves. That's my heart. Um, and there seems to be a connection with that. Um, moving forward, I will actually um, share this really quick. The book of Revelation has 404 verses. Um, and in the book, um, in, in this 404 verses, there's over 800 allusions to verses in the Old Testament. Let that sink in. There's 404 verses in the book of Revelation, yet there's over 800 allusions to the Old Testament in different verses. That is incredible. And, like, man, it, the sometimes it, this book can seem scary and, like, um, like, it doesn't make sense. And mainly it's because we don't know the Old Testament. If we really knew the Old Testament, if we were literate in what the, the Old Testament scriptures talk about then the book of Revelation would just be like, oh man, that was mentioned here, and that was mentioned here, because it's all over it. Um, yet, it just kind of exposes us. So, as a another encouragement, read your Old Testament. We're not done with the Old Testament just because we're New Covenant believers. Um, we, we love the Old Testament, and actually there's way more scripture in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus' return now, and is pertinent to this day and age. Um, that's a big deal. Um, this book is often you know, skipped over by tons of people. A lot of pastors will just skip over it and not talk about it. And like I said before, it's because um, it, it's scary. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And a lot of us teachers don't want to admit that the passage doesn't make sense. Um, we're not going to do that. I, I'm okay if I'm, I don't know. Like, that's how I learn. Because I present it to other people and I say, hey, I don't understand this. Or I present it to God and say, I don't understand this. Reveal this to me, God. And he will. And um, so it's, it's just a big deal to not let your pride get in the way um, of what God wants to share with us in the end. Um, oh, I was just reminded, too. I'm sharing a lot of intro stuff, so it's going to be kind of just talking about overall uh, perspective of the book. Um, but um, I was thinking about it the other day. One of the things I asked my wife, I said, you know, what are the most important parts of any book? Like if you were reading... Um, Harry Potter, God forbid. If you're reading uh, a Harry Potter book, um, what's the most important parts of that book to understand what happens in the book? Well, the, the introduction. You, you want to know. The introduction usually tells you what the characters are, sets up the plot of the story and all that stuff. And then the, the second most important part is the conclusion of the book. It's so probably the last chapter because that's going to wrap up all the things that were introduced in the first chapter. Um, we need to take that seriously with the, the Bible. Um, the, the Bible, the, the book of Genesis, is where we see a lot of the beginnings of a lot of different things. More so than you probably realize. The Genesis means the beginning of things. And so um, that, that's a super important part of the book. But Revelation is the end. Revelation is the like consummation of all things. And um, you'll see a lot in the book of Revelation that it ties up loose ends that were created in the book of Genesis. It's super cool. Um, but the fact that we neglect this book so much is really like, I, 
I think it's a lot of the devil trying to keep us from knowing what God's plan is. Um, but we as Christians need to understand that this book is so important. And us learning about the end times is so important. And it's not just so that I can get a get out of jail free card, not go to hell and go to heaven. And, you know, I'm going to get raptured. So who cares? No, I, I, I want to know what happens so that I can be the most effective bringer of the gospel here on earth. Um, I want to know so that I'm not caught off guard by anything, by anything. That is so important. Um, so when we like dive into this book, we all know, like, <laughs> I think a lot of people say, oh yeah, well, the, um, I know how the story ends. You know, a lot of people have said that. I know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. That's great. We know how the story ends. Like God wins. That's how we finish it. But we don't know the details of the book of Revelation. And that's what I think is really important is that we should know the details of how God wins because <laughs> I don't want to just know how like that he wins. I want to know how he wins and what steps are taken and how can I be a part of that victory. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think, I think, I think, um, oh, and, and just so you know too, sorry, I'm going through my notes and uh, just finding, I've wrote so many, um, the, the, the second return of Jesus, not just his first coming. His first coming was great and amazing, like unbelievable. Do not like underestimate the fact that his first coming was powerful and important. But um, in the Bible, there's uh, like, I think there's, I can't remember if I uh, wrote it down. Anyway, there's a ton of allusions to Jesus' first coming in the Bible but for every one allusion to God, Jesus' first coming, uh, his first arrival here on earth, um, there are eight verses that prophesy his second coming. Eight. That's nuts. That's such a like, <laughs> that, that is a crazy jump. Um, so if you think, like, if God was trying to tell you something, and he, you know, if you were trying to tell anybody something, you would want to say it over and over and over and repeat it because, you know, once it gets drilled into your head, you think it, it, it'll make sense to you. It'll finally get in your head. Mm-hmm. God is doing this with us. He wants us to be looking towards the return of Jesus. He wants us to know about it and be knowledgeable and not be, um, you know, ignorant of it. Um, and it's not just so, once again, we can just go to heaven. It's so that we can, like, prosper and like succeed in what God's plans are in these end times. He wants you to be a light in these end times. Um, So super important. Let's go into chapter one. Um, Starts off the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. That's really important. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's one revelation. It's not multiple. It's not like he had a bunch of, it's one whole revelation and it's of Jesus, and it which God gave unto Jesus. So that sometimes we just fly by that and don't really understand what he's actually saying. But John is saying that this is the revelation of Jesus that God gave to Jesus. And the purpose of that, why did God give this revelation to Jesus? Well, it's to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Now, that word shortly um, in the uh, original language actually means suddenly or like a quick like um uh, like it, it will happen shortly so it's not talking about like it's going to happen soon like but when it happens it's going to happen really fast really rapidly 
And, um, you know, so th that's what that means. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. Now, moving on in the end of verse 1, it says that um, he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Um, now, that, that word signified is kind of cool. You can also break that word up and say, signified it. He signified the book. Um, so basically, from the onset, this book is um, claiming to be a book of signs. Um, it's not going to be just a straight up book like all the others. It's already straight up going to be it's going to be a book of signs for you to understand. Um, now, uh, going into verse 2, it says, Who bear the record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Um, I'm going to move a little further. Got to make sure I got down. Ah, verse 3. Yeah, this this is um, a super good verse. And I think this right here for chapter 1 is one of the most important verses. Um, is Verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So, blessed is he that readeth. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says that there's a special blessing to the one who reads the book. No other book in the Bible has the audacity to even try that. So, when we come to this book, there is a promise at the beginning. You know, we talk about claiming God's promises all the time. Let's read this book and claim the promise that is promised to us at the very beginning, that blessed is he that readeth. Um, there's the, also, this is a pretty interesting verse because um, the book of Revelation has some beatitudes in it. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke beatitudes, uh, taught beatitudes in Matthew 5. Um, and he also, there's seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Um, so I'll leave that out there. You can go find them if you want. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, the, there's a part in that verse, verse 3, that says, and they, they that hear the words of this prophecy. So right off the bat, this book is claiming to be also a book of prophecy. So it's a book of signs, and it's a book of prophecy. Um, it's important to understand that this is a prophetic book um, because it's not done. You know, it's not over. The, 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 it's prophecy. Prophecy is always looking forward to things that will happen in the future. Um, a quick word on prophecy, too, is um, when we look at prophecy a lot of times uh, in our Western minds, we think of prophecy as prediction and fulfillment. So somebody says, like, I believe that, you know, you're going to build a church, you know, whatever. And you building the church is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Well, that that is great, and that is prophecy. But there's also the Jewish aspect, the Hebrew aspect of uh, viewing prophecy and it's really cool um, I've learned a lot of this stuff from um, different teachers and my friend Elisabetta she's awesome she kind of told me about this but the Hebrew mind kind of works in circles where we are Western and more linear um, the Hebrew mind works in circles kind of like the seasons so like every year you know during this time we kind of remember what last season was like during this time because it's the change of the weather. We remember the pollen. We remember this stuff. It all seems familiar. That's what prophecy is like for the Hebrew mind, is that it's uh, something that was talked about that's reused. Um, we'll talk about a really cool example of that a little later on. Um, but just keep that in mind, is that not only is prophecy prediction and fulfillment, but it's also um, you know, God using similar things that he used to use a second time, um, 
to for you to remember. That's why Passover is so important because remembering what God has done, remembering who He is, it's super important. So um, let's move forward. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter or chapter one verse four. Woohoo! Uh, this is John's intro to the letter. It's kind of like any other epistle where the the writer shares a brief intro to the whoever he's writing it to. So John to the seven churches, which are in Asia. Um, we'll stop right there at Asia. That word Asia is not referring to Asia as we see today. Um, Asia in this time was referring to modern day Turkey. Um, so that's kind of the area that it's talking about as a, um, a leg of the Eastern or the Roman Empire. Um, now it says, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Um, that's I'm going to stop there again. That uh, It's really cool to see that, um, that past, present, future tense. He who uh, was is past. He who is, um, that's present. And he who is to come. Um, you're going to see this repeated multiple times throughout this first chapter and also throughout the book. Um, John also refers to this in the Gospel of John when he talks about uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God and was God. You know, I could read it, but you get the idea. Um, so there's this this theme of Jesus not just being this character who was in the Old Testament, who was this past person who lived a great life. He is alive today. And not only that is he alive today, but he is the one who is to come. He's still going to be coming back for his bride. He's going to be coming back for his people. Um, and that's so cool to see. Um, so let that revelation... we we should be praying for a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Um, you know, we don't want Jesus to just be that character in the Old Testament, or the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. We don't want, want him to just be a character in the book. He is alive. He is alive right now. And um, he's also coming back for you and I, his bride, and the uh, the Jewish people. Um, moving on from there, um, he who was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Um, that seven spirits there can potentially be an allusion to um, the sevenfold uh, spirit of God. Um, and I think it's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Um, there's a, a reference to seven different uh, characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's it completely. You, I'll let you judge it for yourself. I think I believe it. I, I think that's a pretty good idea. And as we go to the next verse, which says, um, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Um, there's kind of a trinity illusion. The first part is the um, he who was, and who is, and who is to come. That, that's kind of a reference to God the Father. Um, the seven spirits which are before the throne, that's kind of a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then there's Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. That's Jesus, the Son. So it's kind of a trinity illusion. I, you know, we'll let it be what it is. You, you figure it out on your own. Um, but I, I, once again, you see that past, present, future um, kind of uh, writing style here with, when it refers to Jesus, who is the faithful witness, um, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, past, present, future. Super cool. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, 
and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Um, once again, you see that past, present, future, super cool. Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests. That's past, present, future. Um, I do want to take a second and look at the, uh, the, the kings and priests part. Um, this is really an important part because if you know anything about the Old Testament, um, there's uh, a very stark difference between the line, lineage of kings and the lineage of priests. I believe the lineage of the kings were the line of Judah. The lineage of the priests was the line of Levi. And uh, God gave them strict orders to stay separate. They were always meant to stay separate. Only three times in the Bible do we come across um, a combo of priest and king. Um, the first is Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a uh, the great high priest and king, um, and Jesus was also a king and priest. Um, and then he also refers to the church as being kings and priests. Uh, we are kings and priests, and so you can study that on your own. I just thought that was um, pretty interesting um, to read. Uh, let me see where I was. Uh, yeah, have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So um, that's kind of a brief introduction by John. Um, Going to move forward, just reading through. Bless, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. As, I mean, that's just pretty straightforward. Jesus is going to return. He's going to return on the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Uh, it's pretty wild when you think about that, the fact that every eye is going to see him um, when he's coming from the clouds. <laughs> uh, that's a dumb, dumb joke. I was thinking about flat earth people that kind of, <laughs> if he's coming from one place, we're all on the plate. Uh, we're not flat earth believers. Anyway, <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> every eye is going to see Jesus when he returns in the clouds. Um, and... Um, Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Um, Alpha and Omega, it's the first and the last, um, beginning and the ending. I, I really, you'll see Jesus, uh, or John the writer, write this multiple times throughout the book of Revelation, um, that he, Jesus is the first and the last, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And so I think it's just, once again, we need to grow in our revelation of who Jesus is, um, that he's not just an old, like, uh, a character in the book, that he is alive and he is well. He, is, he was at the beginning. He is at the end. He is. He is. Um, so that's super cool. Um, verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Basically, John's just telling you that people got fed up with him, the authorities got fed up with him, he was doing too good for the gospel, so they had to basically try to quarantine him and put him uh, on an island um, where nobody could get to him because he was just, the, the gospel was spreading massively when he walked when he uh, walked around so take that for what it is that you know John received probably one of the greatest revelations <laughs> in the Bible uh, while being quarantined so let that be an encouragement Aww. to you that you know right now while you're being quarantined God is not silent he is speaking he is alive he is well and if you would just bend your ear to him if you would just press into him a little bit he would show you something and um, 
yeah, so, woo, go ahead. Um, my dad just texted me, nice, preach. Good, good <laughs> stuff. Thank you, Pa. Um, verse 10 uh, says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Uh, stop right there. Uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Um, what is the Lord's day? And if you guess Sunday, then sorry, you flunk. <laughs> um, Sunday is not actually the biblical um, like Sabbath day, day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was pretty much instituted early on in the book of Genesis that it, it would be Saturday, the uh, um, Sabbath. Uh, we think it's on Saturdays. We're not 100% sure, but um, I believe it's on Saturday. That's nothing to get like caught up about Paul and his teachings talks about don't let this be a great division between you on what day you celebrate but just knowing the fact that there is a difference um, is good to know and the fact that um, uh, the the belief in like church on Sundays um, church didn't change to Sundays it always was uh, on Saturdays until um, the Romans basically changed it they uh, made Christianity the central like Roman religion, but they also mixed it with their own religion, uh, which is like all the Roman gods, and so that's when it kind of got wonky. And so Sundays were all like kind of meant to be um, worshiping God, like God the Father, the God of the Jewish Bible, um, but also supposed to be worshiping the God of the Son, their Roman God. So you see this mix, and it's just not fun. So um, I'm not. Once again, not saying that worshiping on Sundays is bad. You worship on Sundays, you're just tra trampling over the enemy uh, every day. So just yeah. worship every day. <laughs> it's just good information to have. Uh, I think it's kind of fun. Um, all right, so I heard behind me in a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. We see that again, first and last, Alpha and Omega. Now, this is what Jesus says to John. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Then he goes on to list the seven churches. Now, we'll dig into this more when Matt comes and talks about the, the overview of the letters to the churches, which are in uh, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Um, I think a couple other people are going to be teaching on different churches, so it's, it's going to be really good on each letter. Um, but just so we know, uh, as a beginning question, you should be asking yourself, why these seven churches? Why these seven? Were these the only seven churches at the time? No. There was uh, plenty of churches, the church in Rome. I mean, there were thousands of people coming to Jesus every day, you know, in the book of Acts. So definitely not, there were not only seven churches. Why these seven churches? It, I'm not going to tell you why. I think there's, it's very um, purposeful. Once again, we go back to what we talked about at the beginning is that God is intentional. He puts things in place because, like, he's intentional about it. And so we should really study even the order of how books are put in, of how the churches are listed, uh, which churches are listed. And we'll find, too, that each church's name is going to relate to what the letter is about. I mean, there's just so much. So really, we just we don't want to breeze past that. Um, do some study on your own. Find out why do you think these seven churches. Um, let's move on. Um, verse 12 says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot, and a girt about the paps of the golden girdle. Um, it goes on to talk about a description of Jesus. Um, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. 
His feet were like unto brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as, a, as the sun shineth in his strength. This is really a, a really cool description because a lot of the description here is previously recorded in other books of the Bible. Um, it talks about his head and his hairs were white as wool and as white as snow. Go back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, and you'll see that same thing. Um, his eyes were a flame of fire. You can look in Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 13, or Hebrews 4, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 3, 13, or Malachi 3, 2. Um, his feet of fine brass as if burned in a furnace. Um, I'm going to come back to this one because this one's really cool, but you can go to Numbers 21 and kind of get an idea of that, that bronze, that um, furnace and fire. Um, a voice like the sound of many waters is uh, Ezekiel 1, uh, verse 24, Ezekiel 43, verse 2, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. I mean, you can go through all of them and all of them are previously recorded. So none of this, this is new. Um, so it's really cool. Um, I do want to go back to that. Um, the, his feet were of fine brass as if burned in a furnace. Um, there's, I talked earlier about, um, kind of like stuff being revealed in the old Testament that like didn't make sense until the new Testament. Um, one story that I loved and now I find like we all understand now more so, but I'll bring it to your attention too is, um, if you go back to Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 through 9, um, basically what's happening is the, the Israelite people are um, disobeying the Lord. And so um, the verse here says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So there's these snakes that are uh, fiery serpents that were coming through the camp and like biting people and killing them. Crazy. I mean, I hate snakes, so I would not be doing all right, you know, I'd be running. Um, so basically the people come to Moses and they say, you know, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto your Lord and take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prays for the people. This is kind of a common thing with Moses and the Israelite people. Um, but the Lord tells Moses uh, to make a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he look upon it shall live. So Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Super weird. Like, you would not think the God that wrote the, you know, uh, <laughs> the commandments that said, you shall have no other God before me, would create an idol in, in a way. It seems like an idol, but, um, you know, he, he tells Moses to put a serpent, which is a sign of sin, up on a brass pole and just as the people look at it, God could have done this anyway. The fact that he did it this way is just kind of like, it, it makes you think like, why would he choose to do it this way? And honestly, throughout the entire Old Testament, there's no like explanation. <laughs> so people just had this story and there was no explanation for it. It's not until Jesus comes to earth and uh, sits down with his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, where this scripture is actually um, uh, makes sense, where it's revealed what the like reasoning for it is. Um, it says that Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I mean, that's like, woo, I'm crying. That's like super powerful. Um, <clears throat> the fact that the Lord like shows like types of what he's going to do in the future. And like, it's just beyond comprehension, um, like how our God works. So um, this alone should just cause your heart to just break and be like, man, I've got to get into the word because if that happened, how many other times is something like this happening? How many other discoveries are out there to be made when it comes to the word of God? And I guarantee you, you search it, you search the scriptures, you will find so much. And all of scripture points to Jesus. And it's just, woo, it's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we're going to move on. Uh, we're almost done. I don't know where we are. I think the recorder died. That's fun stuff. Um, 45 minutes. Okay, 45 minutes? Yeah. That's not bad. All right, so verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's kind of B.A. Um, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Once again, we have that past, present, future, um, and the first and the last, um, once again, that first and last part is outlined, it's listed seven times in the book. <laughs> seven, you'll find a ton of list of sevens. I'm not going to go into that. Challenge you to go look up how many sevens or groups of sevens there are in the book of Revelation. Um, this this is a, probably the second most important and crucial um, verse of the entire first uh, chapter. Um, is verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Um, so here, the we're getting kind of an outline for what the book is. Uh, not a lot of books in the Bible give us an outline of what the entire book's going to look like. This book does, and I'll show you. Um, first, the, write the things which thou hast seen. The things which John had seen at that time was the vision, vision of Christ. Um, the vision of Jesus, which is the entirety of chapter 1. So that's what John has seen past. Now let's go to the next one, the things which are. Um, the things which are currently is those seven churches. Um, this is even going to blow your mind more once you realize why those seven churches were chosen. Um, because uh, it, it's very deliberate. I, once again, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to spoil all the surprises just yet. Um, but it, it is really cool and it is very intentional. Um, those are the things which currently are present. Um, last, we have the things which shall be hereafter. And that word hereafter is metatauta. Um, that means the things hereafter, following, following all this. Um, now, we're going to see that that is going to detail chapters 4 through 22 of the book of Revelation. Um, so, uh, the for me the most important part of the book of Revelation and for you and I I believe is the first three chapters. First three chapters are what ref, like kind of uh, pertain to us right now today. It, it's something that we can practically be walking out because you'll see in the um, in the letters Jesus challenges people, um, challenges each of us, um, and where we are with our walk with Him. And so uh, that's like I, we always kind of gravitate towards practical. We want to make practical steps so that we can be walking in closer relationship with the Lord. The following chapters, verses 4 through 22, uh, they're really important too. Not not saying that they're not. Um, 
but they're, they're more about future things, which we may not even be a part of. I'm not going to go into all that. Not yet. Um, but let's finish it. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou saw, are the seven churches. So, it, you know, once again, this book is signs, um, but a lot of times these signs are going to interpret themselves. The Bible is going to interpret them for us. Um, and right here, we see that the, this vision of the Son of Man in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and the seven stars in his hand, that can be like, what is that? Like, I have no idea. But the Bible explains it for you. It, there's no secret to it. It's, this is what it is. The candlesticks are the church and the stars are the uh, the angels of the churches. Now, that word angels is messengers. Um, some people believe that the it's actually talking about specific angels for each church. Other people believe that messenger can refer to the like pastors of the church, the leaders of the church. Um, that's just you know good knowledge for you to have when thinking about it. Uh, I don't think it changes a ton, um, but just have that in the back of your head. And also, this is kind of something I'm going to show you I, where you can do your own study at home and really get a lot of life from it. Um, and speaking about that Hebrew mentality of things, you know, being circular. Um, that word candlesticks, something you can do when you see that word or something like that in the book of Revelation is go into your concordance, go to the, uh, the Blue Letter Bible app. That's the one we all use. It's free and it's got a ton of tools. But you can go cross-reference every verse where this thing happened. Um, you'll run across something that's called the Law of First Mention. Uh, the Law of First Mention basically says that the first time something's mentioned is probably the most important and so, um, and everything else after that is built off of that first mention of the, uh, the thing. So, um, talking about candlesticks, um, I think, I think, don't quote me on this. I, I did this little bit of a study the other night for like 30 minutes and it was so much fun. I think the first time it's referred to is in Exodus 25, 31. Um, and it basically they're detailing what the Ark of the Covenant is and, um, when you read about lampstands, candlesticks, these are kind of some of the characteristics of it. Um, the, the, the candlestick in Exodus 25 was supposed to be hammered out to the perf perfect accuracy of God's decree. So, um, and it's also made of gold. Gold is the most valuable metal. Well, if the candlesticks are the church, then this is kind of an allusion to how we are in our relationship with God, where we're hammered out, where our salvation is worked out, sanctification, we're sanctified more and more through our daily walk with him, and we're, we're gold, we're the most valuable metal that there is, um, but we also still have to be hammered out, It's that's so cool, you can keep going, um, the testing of gold, um, there's a verse I think in Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 7, and Zechariah chapter 13, the testing of gold equals the testing of the church. Um, the refining of gold brings out the true people of God. It's a great song by Maverick City, Refiner. So good. Talking about refine me, God. Um, those who withstand fire will be purified, Numbers 31, 23. Um, the, another thing that you find out is that the candlestick was supposed to resemble an almond tree. I've never seen an almond tree. Um, but one characteristic of the almond tree is that the almond tree is one of the first trees to bear fruit. Um, and that's just interesting. I, I think um, 
especially if you study out kind of the um, the rapture and stuff like that. I think that might have some relation to it. Once again, that's stuff that I, I would rather talk with you guys one-on-one because I'm not fully, I don't know where I stand completely yet on that because I'm still learning it. But I would love to talk to you guys one-on-one, but I also don't want to steer you the wrong way. I want you to do the research yourself. Um, so you do it yourself. Um, the candlestick was made of one piece. There were six branches, but um, <clears throat> six branches and one main shaft. So when you look at the, like, I think, I think it's pretty much the same as the menorah where there's three branches on one side, three on the other, and then one in the middle. Well, when we read the Bible, the number six over and over refers to the number of man. So it's a, and it's also represents like an incompleteness, but seven represents completeness and with God. So that main stem in the candle is like a picture of Jesus and us being his branches. Go to John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. <sighs> so cool. The Bible talks about itself all over the time. Um, so I think that's all I had. But that's just, I, I sat one night in my room. I was reading this chapter and was just curious about what lampstands are. Why, why is he using a symbol of lampstands? Um, and you find all those things and all those things are like, whoa, (laughs) like I know I was just sitting there like, holy crap. Um, so, um, all that being said that that's kind of the intro to the book of revelation. I know it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, and you know, I'm just, uh, I, I have a lot of information about it, so I'm just all over the place with it. But, um, I would encourage you guys one, read it for yourself. Learn it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Um, study it. Like, let the Lord reveal it to you. That You will get so much more if you, like, build a relationship with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher and not myself. Once again, at the very beginning of this thing I was telling you about, you know, like, church being your only source of growth. And, like, when you don't have church, are you are you still, like, doing well? Are you struggling in your relationship with the Lord? Mm-hmm. This, this is that, you know, I don't want you to just take my word and just be like, oh, I was blessed by Cameron telling me what the truth was. No, blessed is he that readeth. You need to read it for yourself. And I promise you there will be a blessing. You need to study it out though and study it for yourself. Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Identity House. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity.